our community vision series, what we as a, a community, a church community, envision for ourselves and for the future. And uh, we kind of launched that last week and we talked uh, a little bit about those things. Um, you received this again today, this little um, flow chart that uh, gives you a picture. I think there's a little ring in this. Nelson, am I hearing a ring or is that just me? Anybody else hear a ring? No? Yeah? <laughs> All right. So, um, you, you have, uh, you got this and it kind of gives you an overview of what we're going to be talking about, especially when you come down to the values. We talk about our purpose as a church is to, uh, is, is the why we exist. And that is to see lives changed by the love of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in South Ottawa and beyond. That's our, that's why we exist. That's what we see God has, has us here for. That's why God has had us here for a hundred and plus years and uh, is to bring that message to the community that we serve. And the community's changed a lot, um, but our message hasn't changed as to who we are and what we uh, believe in. Our mission is how we fulfill our purpose. And you hear us talk about this one a lot, connecting to God, each other, and our world through real relationships. We believe at the core of the community of faith is relationships. Our relationship with God, obviously, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with the community and the world around us. And so we believe in the connecting to God, our world, our, each other, and our world through real relationships. When we think about our values, what do we value in, uh, in that? We, we kind of group them under um, two under each of these ideas. Connecting to God, Jesus is our center, we choose grace. Connecting to each other, relationships matter, no masks. Connecting to our world, love and action, and new friends. So over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about these values. And today we begin with Jesus is our center. And that is we align our lives and our ministry as a church completely with Jesus' teaching and example. When we look at what we want to do, what we want to be, what kind of church we want to be, what kind of people we want to be, what kind of pastor I want to be, what kind of staff we want to be, we look at Jesus first. Jesus is the center, he's the reason, he's, the, he's the, the core of what we believe about ourselves. I want to just read to you some scriptures, and uh, Jackson read some of the, uh, one of them before us earlier as well. Um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 to 21, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 20, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God, and he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope, we are of all people most to be pitied. John 14, verses 1 to 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me, Jesus said. My Father's house has many rooms. 
If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. These are just some of the scriptures in the New Testament that help us to see the centrality of Jesus Christ and everything that goes on within the church. Whether it's our church or the church universal, whether it's the church down the street, the church in another country, all of these things. We have a key verse that we're looking at today, or I want you to keep in mind, and one that maybe you want to spend some time meditating on throughout the week. It's in John chapter 12, verse 30. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, Jesus isn't saying here, you know, we used to sing a song when I was, um, when I was a youngster about, you know, um, uh, uh, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus. How many remember that song, lift Jesus higher? Anybody remember that song? Oh, why well, you've been around a while. <laughs> and it says, if you lift him up, people will be drawn to him. And uh, I used to think that meant that if we praise the Lord, people will be drawn to him. And uh, that's what happens when you take a verse out of context. But what, what that verse, if you look at the context of that verse in John chapter 12, it's, uh, it's talking about Jesus' crucifixion. It's talking about the fact that if Jesus is, once Jesus is lifted up on the cross, once he takes his rightful place in, uh, in, in the plan of God and the purpose of God on the cross, then it will be, it will be that work, that act of grace, that act of mercy that will draw the world to him. It's not about what we do, it's about what he's done. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, He's talking about his prophetic word that he has here about his crucifixion, crucifixion. I will draw all people to myself. So our goal is to bring people into, uh, is to bring people to the, to the center of the purpose of the church, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center. Let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, I want, to, I want to look this morning at Jesus' life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and the second coming, and what that means to us as a church and as individuals, and why this is so central to everything that we talk about as a church. Everything I preach about, everything we teach about, every connection group curriculum that we choose, it's all because Jesus is the center, and we want to point people to Jesus. First of all, Jesus' life. Colossians verses 1 and verse 16 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. A lot of people have difficulty understanding who God is. You know, we, pictures of God. People have pictures of God. You know, the, you know, the gray-haired old man in the sky with a long beard and he's got white robes on and he's sitting, you know. Um, or um, he's usually always dressed in white for some reason, glowing, you know. People have these pictures of God and they have these ideas about God that are not really um, are not really accurate, and some of those some of those those ideas they get from the Bible, because some of the things recorded about God in the Bible are people's perspective of God Himself. You look at the Book of Job, for instance, and um, and you know there's a story in the Book of Job where where um, Jesus is um, or Job, I mean his his life is brought down to nothing, and um, he has these three friends that come along and give him all the reasons why God is punishing him. And Job says, no, that's not, that's not true. You're wrong. This is, this is what's really going on. And this is all recorded in the Bible. All these false views of God are in the Bible. And then God comes along and says, no, Job, they're wrong and you're wrong too. 
And so the Bible has some things about God in it that aren't necessarily accurate. So how do you know what God looks like? How do you know what God is about? How do you know what God is really, really like in his character? Well, the Bible tells us that you can look at Jesus, and he's the image of the invisible God. The God that we have been looking for, the God that we have been seeking, the God that we have been wondering, what is he really like, is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of um, of who God really is. And that's why his life is so important. That's why that the, the, the books of the Gospels in the, in the New Testament are so important because you get to see Jesus, how he interacts with people, how he, how he reacts to criticism, how he reacts um, to, um, to people that need compassion or, or people that are sick or people that are poor or to people that are rich or people that are powerful. How does Jesus react in those situations? And, and you get to see Jesus under pressure. What's Jesus like under pressure? You get to see what makes Jesus upset. What, what really gets him riled up? You get, to, you get to see that when you look at the Scripture. And then when you look at Jesus in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the Gospels, you begin to get a picture of what God is really, really like. You want to know what God's like? Then look at Jesus. And that's what, what we learn through Jesus' life. We learn what God is like. Then Jesus' death. Why is Jesus' death so important? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. People in the world, a lot of people around will just say, Ah, Jesus was a great man, but his, he died. It's done. It's, it's over. He's dead. And uh, even not when he was crucified, people were scoffing and, and mocking him. They thought, he's just, uh, he's just one other criminal, just one other crazy religious fanatic, and he's dying because of it. But you really, the cross is much more than that. And those of us who are being saved by it, those of us who have experienced the power of the cross in our life, we come to a realization that there is something much more to the cross of Jesus than just a historical fact or just a, a, a method of torture. This, the, the cross is the culmination of all that sin. And, you know, it's like, it's like the devil took... <clears throat> All the wrath and all the sin and all the anger and all the horrible things that this world could throw at you and put it in one big ball and threw it at Jesus. And that's what the cross is. All the anger, all the, all the horrific torture, the abuse that people have experienced, it's all put on Jesus. It says that Jesus experiences all the worst of life on our behalf on the cross. Some would say, well, you know, he hasn't experienced exactly what I've experienced. No, probably not exactly like what you've experienced, but he has experienced it. He's experienced the kind of rejection that you've experienced. He's experienced the kind of, of physical pain you've experienced. He's, he's, he's experienced the, 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 the feeling of being alone. He's experienced abuse even sexual abuse. You know, Jesus, the Bible, doesn't, the Bible doesn't talk about it in plain language because of the sensibilities of, of the people that are writing the story. And because, 
you know, the Jews were very sensitive around sexual issues. And they didn't talk about those things, or they didn't, uh, they didn't, but you know, just a Jewish man would never, ever be seen naked in public. And the Bible says that Jesus was stripped naked when he was put on the cross. And you know, if, if, if I can imagine the kind of torture that Jesus experienced, even the things that the Bible says about the whipping or the crown of thorns, the mocking, the spitting, all of the things that happened to Jesus that we're, we're told about, we're not told, we're, there are some things we probably aren't told because of the respectability that the, that the, the authors have for Jesus. Jesus' death is the focus of all the evil and the horror of humanity placed upon him. When the Bible says that he bore our sin, that's what it means. It means that he took on himself the, 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 the sense and the weight of every sin and every horror that we have ever experienced. Hunger, thirst, anger, abuse, abandonment, everything. And that's why when we come to the cross, this is why the cross is so important because Jesus has borne all our sin there and this is a place where we can bring all that stuff. Excuse my language, but we can bring all our crap to the cross. You get what I mean? That's why we say you can, you can, you can bring it to Jesus and you can leave it there because he took it at the cross. He's already taken all that horror and all that abuse and all that sin, whether you've committed it or whether someone else has committed it, whether you're at fault or someone else is at fault, it doesn't matter. We can bring all of that stuff and we can leave it at the cross. That's why Jesus' death is so important. Because he took it there. You see, the devil thought he was, he was, he was pouring all this stuff on Jesus and that he would, it would bring Jesus down. It would destroy him, but it didn't. And that's why we can, we can carry it all to him and we can leave it at the cross. And that's why the cross is so important. That's why we visit the cross over and over and over again. Then we have Jesus' resurrection. Paul said, and we read it just a moment ago, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If... Jesus had just died on the cross, there would be nothing unique about him. The Romans actually crucified tens of thousands of people. It was common. They lined the roads with people. The cross was a symbol of, for the Romans, it was a symbol to the world. If you, if you cross us, if you don't obey us, if you don't follow our rules, if you don't, if you don't pay your taxes, if you don't subjugate yourself to our ways, this is what happens to you. It was it, every person that hung on a cross was hung as an example for what rebellion against Rome would mean. And so Jesus just becomes one of tens and hundreds of thousands of people that would have been murdered by the Roman executioners in the public. But Jesus didn't stay dead. And you see, if, if all that Jesus did was die and 
then his teaching would be nice. He'd be, he'd be just like uh, the Buddha or, or Confucius or other great leaders who have left um, very wise words for us. He'd be no different than King Solomon. He'd be no different than, than King David and the Psalms. He'd be no different than others who had lived and died and just left the legacy. But Jesus did more than that. Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is the proof of victory and the basis of our faith and hope for the future. You see, if Jesus hadn't died, there'd be nothing for us to look forward to in the future. There'd be no chance that he, his, his offer of eternal life was even possible, remotely possible. But because Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death. You see, the devil thought he got Jesus when he got him on the cross. But Jesus knew that the power of God, the power of the Spirit within him, the power of the Father was greater than the power of the enemy. And the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof for you and I that we can be victorious in our life and in the next life. It doesn't end with the grave. We never die. You say, well, I've been to many funerals. What do you mean we never die? You don't die. Jesus said, you can kill this body, but you, can't kill, but you can't stop the life that I live. You can, you, can, you, can, you can torture me. You can put me on the cross. Jesus said it. He used the, the metaphor of the city of Jerusalem. He said, you can, you can destroy this city, but I'll raise it back up in three days. And I'm here to say to you, this body could decay and it could die. It could, it, it could contract some disease. I could have, a, I could have a, a stroke or a brain aneurysm right here in front of you and I could die in front of you and I would not be dead. You would see my body dead, but you would not see me dead. There is no death for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is simply a passing from one reality to another. Then Jesus' ascension. John 14, verse 26 says, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. Jesus said to his disciples, If I don't go away, then the, then the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, can't come. With God, everything has a time and everything has a season. There's a, there's a rolling out of his plan and his purpose. And Jesus was here for a season and Jesus did his work on the cross and Jesus rose from the dead. But then Jesus ascended into heaven where the Bible says he intercedes for us. But he said, I will not leave you alone. I will send the comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the one who will advocate for you, who will empower you, will come. So Jesus' ascension is important as well. Jesus just hasn't gone away. Jesus hasn't just uh, taken a holiday in heaven, as some people imagine. Jesus is, part, is still working and part of the plan, and he has sent the Holy Spirit to be within us, not just around us. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he is the force that brings power to the church and Jesus' ascension is so important. That's why Jesus said, don't, don't mourn for me when I'm gone. 
Do not be afraid. Do not fear. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I've got more work to do and the Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to be the one that will be with you. And Jesus says, don't, when I'm, when I'm gone, just stay, stick around in Jerusalem and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And we read the story of the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came upon the church and that empowered the church to become something wonderful. The other central part of the message of Jesus Christ is the second coming, the Maranatha. Jesus is coming soon. It has been the cry. Maranatha has been the cry of the church since the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come again. And the Bible says that just as Jesus came the first time in the fullness of time, he will come again and he will do the, he will complete the work that he came to do. And in Revelation chapter 21 verse 15, we see a picture of Jesus on the throne and he said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. A lot of people mock the idea of the second coming of Jesus. He says, well, over 2,000 years have passed and Jesus hasn't come back yet, so I don't think he's coming back. These words are trustworthy and true. Jesus will come again. And he is going to come again because he still has to set everything right. He has to put everything back in order. He has to restore all things. There is a creation that Paul says is groaning like a woman in childbirth, waiting for the day when, when, when their, their hopes and their dreams will come into being. Um, Hope and I have watched this uh, series on Netflix called The Midwife. Anybody watch Call the Midwife? <laughs> I like that show. But every, every, every episode has a whole bunch of babies born, one or two at least. And, you know, every... Every mother who goes through that experience knows that there's a lot of pain, but joy comes in the end. And the Bible gives us this metaphor of what it means for Jesus to come again. We wait that day, and we, are in, we, we live in a creation that groans, waiting for the day when he will restore all things. He's going to fix our health. He's going to fix our environment. He's going to fix uh, the, the problem of... of of, um, of violence in this world. He's going he's gonna to end all the abuse. He's going to end all war. He's going to take all the implements of war. The book of Revelation says, or the, the prophets say, going to take all the implements of war and they're going to hammer them down and they're going to use them for agriculture instead. They're going to beat the swords into plowshares. So this massive military machinery that, is, that covers our earth, that could blow our world up and over and over again, will somehow be recreated and will be used to grow grain to feed the masses of hungry people. That's God's plan. That's what Jesus said he will do. That's what Jesus is about. That's why he's coming again. He's going to rule and reign on this earth, and he's going to restore all things and make it all right. That's why it's so important for us to declare this message because we are part of his kingdom now and we are here to work at implementing these concepts and these ideas to bring peace into this troubled world one soul at a time. 
Jesus will do it in a different way, but we can do it one soul at a time as a church, as a community, as, as, a, as a group of people. We can feed hungry people. We can, we can restore the environment. You know, we've been asked by the city, and Eric will be talking about this more later on, we've been asked to, to, to adopt this park across from us by the city. And we could take care of it. We could take care of this, this beautiful park and we could make it something that would shine for the glory of God and keep all the garbage out of it and all those things. You know, that's the work of the kingdom is restoring and making beautiful. When God first created this earth, he made it a garden and he put the man and woman in the garden. And they related to nature in a way that was peaceful. And God is going to restore that to us. The prophet said that, the, that when Jesus comes again, the, the lion and the lamb will lie down together. Now, I don't think lions lie down with lambs now very much. I think the lion would eat the lamb. Because what you've got here is one of the worst, one of the greatest predators and one of the, one of the, the weakest of animals. And they will be, they'll lie peacefully together. Jesus is coming again. So Jesus is our center. And that's the message that we proclaim. That's, that's what we value here. Oh yes, we value a message about God's love. We, we value God the Father. We value the message of the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to us. But the Bible tells us that the center part of God, the Father, and the Son in this day and in this church age is Jesus Christ, and he's the message we proclaim. If you seek the Son, you receive the Father, you receive the Spirit. They're not three people, it's one. And we, we, so we center and we focus on Jesus Christ. He is the center. 